¿Cómo están hermanos y hermanas? My name is Juan López and this is Spanglish Seminary. And guess who's back this week with me helping me out? Hi, how's it going guys? It's Roger. Mi hermano, my... Uh, Your big, big little, little brother. Yeah. Oh, now you're <laughs> gonna finish my sentence. My big little brother. I'm, what, 12 years older than you? Yeah. So, but he's taller. How tall are you? 6'2". No, you're not. I'm 6'2". Oh, we're gonna have to check. I think I'm 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, I don't know, depending on what uh, DMV... <laughs> the DMV record, we have to compare IDs right now, but it's not a competition. Um, well, it's got, glad to have you back. Thank you. You were you were missed. Thank you. And, glad to uh, be back. And it's all good, but uh, it's all it's always good to to do this together, and you know, with my my brother. And uh, hopefully, you guys are enjoying it, and uh, we appreciate um, all the all the support out there. Um, well, for those who who don't know, you know, the Spanglish Seminary is a podcast centered on La Experiencia Latina and the church, uh, about the space in between Spanish and Inglés, Catholics and Alleluias, Latin America y el Norte. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Spanglish Seminary. And then how's the Twitter? It's a little weird. Uh, I believe the Twitter was at uh, Spanglish underscore SEM. Yes. Again, so you can... that is Spanglish underscore SEM. SEM, yes. And this week, I really enjoyed this podcast, and uh, it was with uh, Dr. Michael Jimenez. Uh, he's an instructor instructor of both history and theology at a number of colleges in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is uh, Azusa Pacific University. And I think he was telling me uh, in the unedited version of the podcast, <laughs> he was telling me that uh, he's teaching at a junior college. He's teaching history as well. Uh, at a junior college, and he enjoys that. Uh, so that that was that was something very interesting, and um, I have to. I actually, I think I do ask him in the podcast that I'd like to see the the syllabus of the book, like the reading list of the books yeah. that he shows, because mm-hmm. uh, he has a lot of interesting, um, an interesting approach to uh, theology and Latino theology. Um, so we talked about his his, uh, his new book called Remembering Lived Lives. And his use of the movie *The Mission* to focus on history and theology. Uh, we discussed a lot about that, about uh, looking at that movie. For for those who haven't seen it, you should take a look at it. It's an older movie called *The Mission*, and it's it's kind of similar to a newer movie uh, called *Silence*, mm-hmm. which I've yet to see, and I, I totally regret it. But uh, I have to see uh, *Silence* as well. And um, we also discussed the importance of listening to the marginalized voices of Latinos and knowing our history in order to do the work of theology. I think that's one of the things that stood out for you, right? Like how he incorporated incorporates um, how he's trying to incorporate it. Yeah, in, in how he's his trying teaching. to incorporate uh, Latin um, theology into his teachings. Yes. Yeah, that's, that, that was really dope. He's trying to do that, and you know, it, it's just important to know our history in order to do the work of theology. And he's one of the people doing it. And uh, check out his book. You can follow uh, uh, Dr. Michael Jimenez. Or Michael Jimenez, as I've known him, in on Twitter at uh, so it's Mike ETS fourteen. So I'll, I don't want to. I want you guys to find him. So it's at M I K E E T S fourteen, and you can find his book uh, online. We've well, we've provided the uh, the link also on the um, um, on the on the actual description of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the longest introduction we've done. I don't know why. It's pretty long. I'm talking <laughs> a lot, but 
uh, we're, we're getting better. I think we're, we're getting better as we go along. I, at least I hope so. And and I feel more comfortable with each episode. <laughs> I hope you guys have noticed the, the what do you call it, the, the sound quality. Shout out to, to Blake. He'll, he'll be on the podcast as well. He helped us out with the recording, uh, recording the episodes. And Roger, obviously, with his uh, superior editing skills. <laughs> Shout out to uh, GarageBand. How hard is it to edit? With my constant ums and ahs, and it's pretty pretty difficult. Like that's how you have to say it. It's like, <laughs> it's like just it's, because we're we're quote yeah. unquote live. Yeah, it's, we're quote unquote live. You got to keep it's it live. So keep I'm it keep simple. It PG thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> there have there have not been any computers thrown across the room or anything. It's just it is a lot of work and and uh, but but it's it's fun. So, it's always fun. So thank you. Thank you, uh, Rogelio. Roll my eye. See, I didn't roll my eye. Rogelio. Rogelio. Um, so thank you all for listening, and, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, we start, I think I think you can hear me ask them the question right off the bat, and uh, we start right away and, and you know discussing, discussing his book and uh, about history and theology. So I hope everyone enjoys, and... Um, Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, thanks again for listening. Gracias. Thank you. Bye. So I kind of want. So the interesting thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, your your book, and it just seems really interesting. Um, and I want to talk about biography as theology. Can you talk about that? How do, how do you see that in regards to theology? Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, actually an idea I got from um, James McClendon and uh, William Stringfellow, uh, two theologians, um, kind of uh, hitting the mainstream um, theological world in the, uh, the 70s. Um, and they both... Uh, kind of coined that phrase. I'm not sure which came first, actually. That was a, a Twitter conversation I got into recently. Um, but um, from that idea, um, I think it's a really good, like, connecting point with uh, both disciplines, history and theology, since um, you can, um, you know, uh, there's so many, like, interesting characters and stories um, from like church history and uh, it's a good way to kind of see theology practice by looking at a life like Martin Luther King Jr. or Cesar Chavez or somebody actually like doing their theology like in the streets, in the church, um, in, um, in the public square. So, um, it's just kind of a, a, a attention to take seriously like the name of my book live lives like how we're actually practicing the faith um so that, that's kind of the idea there generally that yeah, i found that that concept interesting and one, another thing we're doing with the podcast is you know it's centered obviously on latino latino theology and you know it's like the 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 name of it is spanglish seminary and stuff mm-hmm. and just found that there is a lot of latinos in in the academy you know, doing theology and doing that work. And, and obviously, you know, you were the, one of the first people that came to mind. How did you, if I remember from our first conversation, your, your father, your dad was a, is a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. And 
how was that for you? I guess the, the, the question I want to ask is how did you get into uh, theology? Like what was academic theology? How did your academic journey begin? Okay. Um, yeah, good question. Um, gee, you know, it's funny cause I am like actually working on a little essay right now on like, um, my, my father and his relationship with me and theology. So like literally your question. So it's a good way to kind of think out some thoughts I've had recently. Um, and I guess, you know, a good way to connect it is, um, there's a recent book by Justo Gonzalez, the famous, um, church historian, uh, his famous for his book on Hispanic theology. Um, he wrote a, He just recently wrote a book called, um, the Mestizo Augustine. And, um, that's kind of where the idea clicked about like, kind of, um, help me look back on my life is that from my earliest memories, I remember my dad reading, um, books by, especially St. Augustine, but, um, Luther, Bonhoeffer, um, Calvin as well. And others, um, which is pretty remarkable because my dad um, came here from Costa Rica in um, the late 60s um, and uh, with not much of a, like uh, what you would call like your um, typical education. I think he went to about the fifth grade, sixth grade or something, um, but like worked hard, um, you know, started a family here. And, you know, my earliest memory is of this guy like reading theology and so it's kind of been a model for me to like um, see him like take theology seriously, and um, yeah, I guess it was kind of uh, set up for me to like follow suit. Um, I mean, I'm not a pastor, but um, I didn't go that route. But um, I uh, I learned to love theology, especially in um, geez, uh my early 20s or so. I start basically started to pick up books from his library. Um, and, uh, you know, from there I, I went off to uh, college and, you know, it's been a long journey since, but, um, those are the roots just seeing him, you know, come home from work and, you know, looking at the covers of these weird books and, and, you know, just seeing his like attention and love for theology, like, um, just kind of put, uh, kind of set things up for myself. My brother included is, is also someone who, uh, um, enjoys theology as well. So, yeah, you know, and it's it uh, the fact that most of these books, you know, in retrospect, he was reading Augustine and, and Luther in Spanish and they'd have these weird covers <laughs> and things like that. And, you know, I was, you know, this typical like, uh, you know, um, kid not really really reflecting on um, his background being from Costa Rica, really, because uh you know, my mom did most of the, I spent most of my time with my mom My dad's working all day. And so, you know, I'd see him for hours and he'd be reading. So it was, um, it was that kind of, I think also there, the kind of consciousness of, Oh, Hey, my dad speaks another language. And, um, my dad comes from another country and all these kind of things also came into, into being there. So that's why, uh, that, that Augustine book by Gonzalez, I think really think speaks to me because the whole, like, mestizo idea that that's central in my book as well that uh, i know a lot of uh latinos living here either they're you know born here or my or have uh migrated over or whatever the situation is is this whole like uh different people are on different journeys and um you know i it, it took me a while before really kind of paying attention to my own biography as, as theology i guess you could say um and and how uh i came to to uh, um, 
you know, uh, find a, a love and, and a passion for it. That's awesome. And um, at how, how old was your, your father when he became a pastor? Well, um, oh, my gosh. You know, he's probably about my age now. Come to think of him is in his 40s. It's 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 crazy because I feel like, um, you know, um, I was in I was my late teens when he became a pastor. And um, I feel like he always has been, <laughs> even though, I mean, obviously, you never church before or anything. <laughs> um but, you know, those years that his him being a pastor, at least from my perspective, they've kind of um, just they've just flown by. And, um, uh, yeah, it's 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 been uh, just just sped by. I was, I was just uh, finishing a podcast with a friend that he was raised uh, Pentecostal as well and ended up going to a seminary in, in Kansas. So he kind of shares his story in that way. And. What um, what denomination was your dad, or how was how was that experience growing up for you? I don't want to assume that you were raised Pentecostal, but like, what certain denomination? Yeah, um, he we like we toyed around with um, different denominations, and actually, I um, I went to uh, an Assemblies of God um, school here in Gardena, um, but it was it basically everything was non denominational, um, but. So my background really is more um, non-denominational. Um, and uh, then when he became a pastor, we joined a Baptist church. So he, he identifies as Baptist. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he kind of like for him, I mean, I, I'd be honest, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I, I'm someone who's pretty like interfaith when it comes to uh, – um, I mean, intra, like within denominations, I, I kind of still follow kind of a a non-denominational format myself. Yeah. But uh, he he loves his Baptist yeah. like denomination, <laughs> uh, like he kind of holds on to that. Um, so, but uh, yeah, that that's his his background. That's awesome. So you went you went to you mentioned you went to a school in Gardena. Did you go to go to Early on, right out of college, right out of high school, did you go to a theological school or did you pursue theology right off the bat? Or was that something later on where you ended up getting your Ph.D.? Yeah, that was um, that was really um, later on. In fact, I um, so I got out of high school. I didn't have a lot of direction. Um, I always joke because, you know, if you're especially if you're Baptist and prior Pentecostal, too. Um, you always want to have like the, um, the dramatic, like conversion story, (laughs) you know, like, Oh, I was so lost. I was doing all this. And, and, you know, I saw the light and I always wanted to have one of those stories, you know, (laughs) my, my story is really dull, but it didn't have any of that. Um, there wasn't a lot of like angst, um, throughout there. I mean, there's ups and downs, like I think everybody has, Uh but, um, for me, I just kind of didn't have a lot of direction out of high school. So I, um, I worked at my, my dad is a working pastor. So he, he works at the, at a shop, um, over here on making racing cams actually here in Gardena. Um, and so I worked there for about a year after high school because I didn't have a lot of direction. Um, and then, um, I started working in aerospace, um, this little aerospace company in Watts actually. Um, and, uh, I did that for a few years and then that's where I kind of, um, that's where I kind of got the, the, um, all of a sudden the idea of, of studying history or studying theology, something along those lines. 
And um, it was from there I, I went back because I took so long from high school. It was a good five or six years, actually. I took a junior, junior college class here or there. But I, um, I finally started to go full time around 2000 or so. Um, take home to make it up all those math classes and stuff like that. It took a while, yes. but, um, from there, um, I transferred over to Biola and did my undergrad, um, at Biola in the early two thousands and then moved over to Fuller. So I knew I wanted to do something in history slash theology. I did a, you know, it took me a long while to get there. Um, thank God for the junior college system. He shot out to them. Um, and that's one reason I, I kind of, I jumped the opportunity to teach it at, uh, JC's cause, um, and it's some of my best, I feel like some have been some of my best, um, classrooms have been at, at the junior college level. So, um, you know, thank God for that and gave me kind of the tools to, uh, move in and decide, uh, I wanted to do history, history, theology, historical theology, church history, and that kind of stuff. Um, and a little theology on the side. So I'm, you know, it's, it's been, you know, a journey, a long journey work and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it goes back to the first thing you said, <laughs> the roots were there. I just kind of had to discover them for myself, you know, through those, um, quote, quote, wilderness years when I was working in aerospace and just kind of, you know, doing the nine to five thing. That's awesome. Yeah. I have another friend that yeah, I ended up getting her master's in theology, and she worked for NASA for a few years. Um, mm-hmm. I think we we know her mutually from from Twitter. But it's interesting to see to hear your journey. Um, like I actually have that sort of uh, dramatic, you know, conversion story at 27, walking into a <laughs> Pentecostal church, and you know, uh, having that whole story. But it, it's just interesting to see uh, that you know Latinos are not necessarily a monolith. That we have different stories and and. And in speaking to a lot of the different Latinos that I'm interviewing for this for this podcast, um, being able to see that that we we we're not a monolith. It's everybody's story is different, but yet we're connected, but not the same at the same time. For for years, I thought I was like the only Pentecostal that would like to read theology. I thought that I was the only Latino <laughs> that would like to read theology. And then, you know, it kind of got out of my street corner church and was able to see, hey. I know nothing. Like there are so many people doing great work already, <laughs> writing books, teaching, and they're Latinos and have that same story. So to hear your story and, and mm-hmm. to hear, you know, your story with your dad and, and, and just seeing what you're doing now is, is, is inspiring, you know, for me personally. Um, yeah, so- no, that's, that's, that's a really good point. Cause I, I know when I start to like, <laughs> cause I did so many years on BART and when I started to like at the end of my uh, work, in the dissertation, when I started to turn towards specifically like uh, um, writers like Cohn and Gutierrez and and others, um, I I was just exposed to all this richness of theology from Latinos, um, Latinas as well, um, and you know it was it's still a journey. I mean, there's so much. I've been doing this probably now. The, the kind of the attention towards. Um, Latin American thinkers uh, in general. And I mean, it's just sweeping. There's so much literature and I, I just am enjoying, um, you know, reading it, um, trying to utilize in the classroom um, and whatnot. And there's just, it's, it's been so enriching for me, you know, just to kind of dovetail what you said. And it's, it's, you know, just to have that 
that quest of knowledge there to look out for and to see like the trailblazers in, in the Latino world is, is really cool. So is that connected to what you say? Um, I think you mentioned in your book about the uh, underside of modernity, like the people that are there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like who is on, in the underside of modernity and what do they have to offer? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I uh, I got the the phrase from Enrique Dussel um, and people like Walter Mignolo and others. Um, so it was from like Latin American theorists and theologians and philosophers, etc. That um, again uh, kind of uh, um, got my attention to that. And since I you know I was trained to be a historian, but with but who. Uh, also um, was looking at theological history or church history or what a religious history. Um, I started to uh, note that uh, in the realm of, of historiography or the study of history, it tended to be so um, centered on what recent Europeans were doing. Um, and that goes for history and theology, as it's, which is kind of dual focus of my book. Um and so um, the underside is kind of like, you know, the stories of generally people of from places like uh, the continents of so the global south continents, Africa, um, Latin America, um, and even, you know, Southeast Asia. Um, there's this whole like realm of history that your average like American student rarely hears about. Um, and the historiographical like um trail shows that um it isn't really till recently and i think um it has a lot to do with the 60s where um um groups the civil rights movement kind of yielded um ethnic studies and it got uh um people to open up departments and reading you know latino literature um and and others and so from there there's been a turn to history to start like looking at the history um of of um these of these groups that are outside of of the West or outside of Europe. I mean, I'd be careful saying that because technically the West there is no West. The West is its own kind of uh, creation. The West is a, is a is there is no West without the East and the South, etc. We're all kind of mixed up, and what became the West was uh, um, part of you know what came out of 1492 and all that. So. Um, that that's that's part of the I think what my attention is to try to like pay attention to voices um, from outside of Europe. Um, you know, I know liberation theology was something that tried to do this, but even there, there's still <laughs> there's still a utilization of ideas coming straight from Europe and uh, being repackaged. Um, but it, it, it's kind of a recent phenomenon to uh, to really start to like. Almost, I would say intentionally, like focus in on voices and literatures um, that haven't been um, haven't gotten the the right um, their their due, um, and so um, that's part of this program. Um, in in the underside is is the is the peoples whose histories haven't been told or haven't been told well. Um, and I do want to kind of say. Um, there has been in recent years, there's obviously been um, a change for the better here. 
But like I said, I, I do think it's something that's a phenomenon coming from the civil rights movement in the 60s. And and when I say civil rights movement, I'm not just talking about like, um, um, you know, uh, I mean, it was the trailblazers were, you know, King and uh, the different African-American groups. But from there, you have the Native American groups from like AIM and and, you know, Chicano power stuff coming out of out of the, the 60s. And, you know, it's just it's a smorgasbord of, of ideas coming out there. Um, and so it's it's been a while. I mean, you think that's that's I mean, I was born in the 70s, late 70s. So it's not that's still in my lifetime. So we're talking about literature, you know, attention to literature. that's only been alive for, you know, around 40 years. So it's relatively new. If you if you think about the big uh, um, big historical picture. So um, I was surprised. You know, I assume people like Karl Barth and Paul Tillich writing in the you know early 20th century when they did theology, they weren't paying attention to Latin America or or um, Latinos. Period. I mean, we lucky if they ever mentioned it ever in their whole corpus. I I was more shocked when I was reading people writing in 2000 not mentioning any any body of work from like black theologians or like Latino theologians at all, and thinking, okay. What? <laughs> you know, really? You're talking about the prophetic Christianity and you don't mention, you know, Dr. King or, you know, Cesar Chavez or or, you know, even Gustavo Gutierrez or something like that. Like, really? Two <laughs> thousand, you know, did we're in the two thousands and you're not doing that. So it, it kind of gave me the fuel to like say, well, I could write this book to kind of like point out some of these issues and, uh, um, you know, uh, highlight some of the problems I think we still have in, in both the historical guild and the theological guild. That's, that's interesting that you're, you're able to put those, both of those two together. You've, you've been prepared through history to, to do theology. And, um, I'm hoping I phrase this question correctly, but I've, I've always in my readings that, you know, I'm, I'm working towards a master's in Pentecostal theology. So I'm reading about Azusa street. I'm reading mm-hmm. about, you know, how Latinos were involved in that. And, and obviously, you know, William Seymour and, and you see, mm-hmm. you see the history of Pentecostalism and I've, I've haven't read as much liberation theology as I have, mm-hmm. but the, just some quote, they always seem to intersect obviously the two in, in some of the readings. And based on some of the things I've read, like Pentecostalism is spreading, through you know Latin America, and what do you say? What do they have to um, to say to each other? I guess in conversation between libera- liberation theology and Pentecostalism, like is there any interconnection between them, and what what do they have to say to each other in conversation? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I would like. From what I've read, and this is, you know, I'm I'm going a little bit off of my comfort zone here. Um, I would say that um, there have been times where the relationship has been somewhat fractured because the tendency of Pentecostal theology of being apolitical. So, like, tendency not to get involved so much in politics and to, like— uh, you know, focus in on the fruits, on the uh, works of spirit, or maybe even have a kind of a, a conservative theology or conservative politic, um, kind of reinforcing um, health, wealth, gospel kind of ideas and stuff like that. Whereas, like, liberationists are, like, you know, at the core, that work with, like, a Marxist so, uh, um, uh, sociological framework. And so I, I've seen moments where there's been suspicion on both sides within those camps, 
Um, I know as um, I know since um, like with Fuller and and I again I'm, I'm speaking out of a little bit ignorance here because I <laughs> I haven't read you know, most of his books, but I know like uh, figures like uh, um, Amos Young at uh, Fuller is writing like constructive Pentecostal theologies. And so I think he's trying to uh, build uh, a deeper uh, uh, conversational theology with uh, from the Pentecostal camp in conversation with uh, movements. Um, but I mean, so I think there's there's I mean, I think there's been moments where even like the, the Catholic Church at, at times have, have embraced Pentecostalism, too. So there has been moments where there could be a, um, a, um, dialogue there. Um, and again, this is really recent. <laughs> if you look at the big historical picture, it's really recent uh, stuff going on. So I think it's very much work in progress. I think it, it um, there's a lot of fruit that's there or a lot of uh, potential there um, in, in this conversation. Um, but uh, I think it remains to be seen because in a lot of ways um, there was some, I, I know for sure, like in Brazil, um, there is there's certain... Uh, um, skeptic skepticism at, at from both sides um, with regards to the way they em- embrace politics, for example. Um, yeah, I think that would be the there at, at its worst. Pentecostalism can can have focus a lot on escape, escapism mm-hmm. and not focus so much on on the actual realities in the world. And um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can see where that where that could be. Uh, let's let's talk about movies. I, you mentioned movies in. <laughs> And can you can you talk about that? How you know photographs and historical movies have to do with theology and yeah, it's part of your book. Yeah, yeah. I um, I mean, I'm kind of a. I used to consider myself a movie geek, but ever since I ever since I have kids, like I, I, you know, we catch the random movie now. Oh, it's best. it's just uh, everything um, by Disney, right? It's all Pixar. Is that what it is? <laughs> For me, it's all Pixar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of that, a lot of <laughs> a lot of Teen Titans and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, which I don't mind some of it, <laughs> but um, yeah, I uh, I um, I focused on the movie The Mission uh, for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, one, <laughs> one, I, I you know <laughs> I went to Christian school. I I went to you know um, Christian church when I was young. Um, I. I've seen the best and I've seen the worst of like Christian made movies. And I always felt like, God, you know, all the money guys are spending. Yeah. You can't do any better than some of these movies. They're so like, uh, I mean, you could just literally write this, write what's going to happen out before the film starts. Um, which is like with its force, like, uh, you know, uh, conversion moment at the end of the film and, you know, the tear jerker moment and where God intervenes or whatever. Um, so I, I, um, I luckily, you know, kind of avoided having to like watch many of those. Um, and instead like movies like the mission were really, really, um, really foreign to me. And, um, I don't know what my parents were doing showing that to me when I was young, but, um, <laughs> so we, you, mean, we, you mean to tell me you never saw like, you never saw like the cross and the switchblade. You didn't see oh, that. Yeah, you're, Eric, you're probably... Eric Estrada. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you never saw that? That's like a classic. No, I right? did. Yeah. I did. I saw, I saw that one. <laughs> That's one of their classics. Yeah, that was one of the first ones. Thief yeah. of the Night movies. <laughs> okay, I didn't mean to... 
yeah, Thief in the Night and things like that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that's a whole yeah, sub sub genre there. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it just reminded me of of the times, and I, I've. It's funny because I can speak to a lot of probably like 40, 30 year old uh, <laughs> evangelicals before evangelicals and ask them, you know, do you ever feel they ever had that moment where you thought the the rapture came <laughs> and you got left behind and the like feel the dread that came over you and like memories of uh, Thief in a Night and the rest of those films <laughs> come into your mind, like giant bugs attacking and the guillotine, you know, with your fate. So <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. My my pastor, my first pastor, I had a story once. I when I first um, I would I would go early to church to help set up, and uh, he was he was in his you know, he was almost seventy, and he would show up early to early to to church on Sundays because we had our Spanish service in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and it, he has this. It was funny because I I was the second one to arrive. His car was already there. Was already a lot of cars in the parking lot, and mm-hmm. I get there and. I see him sitting down. He has this one place where he would always sit and pray. And he kind of looks a little like, like, oh, wow, like, I'm so happy to see you. He looks so happy to see me. And he gets up and hugs me. And I'm like, <laughs> what happened? He was like, well, I got here and no one was here. And I thought the ra- I thought I missed the rapture. And this is my pastor, you know, and I'm thinking like, hey, if you miss it, I'm missing it, you know. But, uh, yeah, there's, there was a lot of a lot to that. And uh, it was just interesting to, to, you know, grow up in that and, and I think that's one of the, for me personally, like even just thinking that through and thinking the theology of the rapture or thinking, you know, and reading it to scripture is one of the things where it kind of the crack, things start to crack, kind of push you <laughs> yeah. towards, you yeah. know, reading, asking better questions and reading better things. And so, yeah. So tell me more about movies. I mean, how did yeah, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got how distracted. How do you see that? How the, oh, that, oh, that's totally, totally fine. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> this is what this is about. Like, it's not, it's not totally academic you know but um, yeah I, I it's interesting to see like how do you how do you use movies in in context of re, you know remembering lived lives and yeah as an art well, form I um guess. yeah um the movie the mission was uh you know like i said it really formed me um it always one you know the uh <laughs> christian movies don't always have to be bad um and i uh i think the story of jesuit priest um you know, uh, ministering to, um, the indigenous in South America, um, was really touching to me again, someone who grew up in a non-nominational, uh, as Latino non-nominational Protestant home. Um, it was weird to see the heroes as Catholics because, you know, um, in, uh, you know, for a while there was always this thing like, Oh, you know, Catholics don't believe in real salvation and stuff like that. And so to see like the heroes, you know, be Catholics first, especially for a uh, person um, as young as I was when I saw the film and kind of say like, well, aren't, you know, <laughs> you know, in like a kid's mind, well, aren't they going to go to heaven too? You know, uh, thinking because they're, they seem to love God enough to like be martyred and defend, you know, and to stand by the, the uh, indigenous, um, that, you know, spoke a lot to me, I think, in, in kind of framing my own, um, again, intrafaith uh, idea. Um, so that was one. The other was like, OK, here's a major studio making a film with Robert De Niro uh, as like the star, a young Liam Neeson as well. And even like Daniel Berrigan, you know, come to find out was like in a supporting role as one of the priests who didn't have many uh, lines. But like 
he's like this, you know, activist priest who like burned uh, draft cards <laughs> of people in the in the uh, 60s, 70s. So I mean, you know, it's like this movie's so full of like you know theology actually. Um, I mean, it has its problems. I mean, it, it does kind of suffer from white saviorism and in some levels, but it, it, it also like presents the issue of like, um, a big issue of, uh, you know, when (laughs) Europe is the bad guy, Europe is the one that wants to come here and profit off the land enslave or massacre the indigenous, a few priests get and try to get in the middle of it. They get massacred. So it, it does like a lot of good, like, discussions of the whole thing about, you know, who are the bad guys in the historic, in the story here. Um, you know, if the Europeans are coming in and, and wanting to, uh, uh, you know, conquer and, and, um, and profit off of, off of expendable lives. Um, and, and here this moment, cause the church oftentimes gets signified with the power, you know, here you have a, a witness where people from within the church stand on the side of, with the, uh, indigenous. So, um, I think that again, you know, young kid, I was seeing this film. It it just really spoke volumes to me. Um, and it kind of told me like, you know, that in, you know, quote unquote Hollywood, there's really a lot of like good films that have these themes that don't have like the over, like, like I said, like with typical, like Christian made films, it's so obvious the message is trying to do. And, and, and I think the art form suffers for that. Instead, you have films like Selma, which tells of the, the lived life of Martin Luther King Jr. And the other uh, participants in the Selma March. I think one of the things that shocked me was to like sit in, in Christian, uh, uh, universities, uh, ask the students, how many of you have seen Selma? And, and usually it's like, out of 35, you have like one student raise his hand or her hand. And I'm thinking like, you know, I remember when Passion of the Christ was a big thing. Like everybody and their mother went to go see Passion of the Christ. I mean, churches, like they took whole churches to like go see Passion of the Christ. And, you know, to give Mel Gibson his credit, yeah, at least there was an element. You know, I think there was problem, a lot of problems with film. But there was a, a certain element of art involved. Um Selma is a Christian film. It's about a Christian, you know, a lot of Christians that are involved in standing up for civil rights, um, voting rights. And I'm just thinking, like, what message better for our day and age than a movie like that, where we have all these, you know, the United States history is one of eternal, like, uh, you know, racial strife because of of its sins. And, you know, the church oftentimes is either silent or on the wrong side or, you know, has a minimal voice. Um, in, involved in, in the struggle. And here's this movie that portrays a American icon, uh, a Christian icon. And like our churches aren't like flooding movie uh, theaters to see it. And that's, that's why I think it's a problem. So I, I try to like point out, you know, that uh, Christians should be making more movies like Soma uh, or more movies like Mandela or movies like the mission. I know, um, Oh, the the movie escaping my mind. A silence came out recently. Did you get silence? Yes. Yeah. So silence came out. I haven't. No, but I plan to. Yeah. So it reminds me. I mean, I didn't see either. So (laughs) preaching the choir here. Um, They. I mean, that movie seems very similar to like the mission in some ways. I mean, Liam Neeson's actually both. (laughs) But um, yeah, Martin Scorsese like doing a film on Christian themes, and again, movie didn't make a lot of noise in the theater. 
And maybe it is because the film is actually trying to deal with issues of doubt. You know, if you really, really put you in um, the the um, a place of persecution, how are you going to handle it? Um, so <laughs> that's kind of like my little uh, my little speech on films. I, I think, um, you know, I know I came from a place at one point I talk about in my book where, um, you know, it was like, oh, Christians don't go see movies. You don't want to be coming out of a theater. It'll be it'll hurt your testimony. <laughs> they see you seeing the film. So, you know, there's a few years I went through that kind of fundamentalism. Um, and, uh, you know, then all of a sudden it was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. So I, uh, you know, I came back to it and I I learned so much from a good movie Honestly, I probably learned a lot from a bad movie, too. But um, I, I think for the classroom, I show the mission to a lot of my classes in the context of after teaching them about um, modernity or the early modernity um, with 1492, with the Middle Passage, with uh, the genocide against the indigenous. And then I show the movie <laughs> of the mission and then kind of give them the question, OK, now you saw this. Reflect on what you saw and what you learned about in light of this film. Um, I have them read a little bit of La Casas as well. They kind of, you know, here you have a voice. Um, and again, La Casas is a complicated guy too. But uh, yeah, so that's that's why I try to do specifically with that film. Um, I've been thinking about uh, other movies to try to incorporate um, as well. And I know I'm, I'm really working on trying to explore a way to show Manifest Destiny <laughs> um, to, to students and that whole complicated thing, you know. Uh, about the cowboys and all that stuff um, for my U.S. history classes. So, but yeah, that that sounds very interesting. I'd I'd love to see see that syllabus. <laughs> and uh, so, it, you know, <laughs> I just right now when we're talking and you were talking about movies, it reminded me of uh, in in it's not it's not an actual historical movie, but it, Children of Men. Have you seen it? Where mm-hmm. yes, oh yeah. So there's a yeah. there's a scene when uh, the child is actually born in the middle of a battle scene and mm-hmm. you know the, they mm-hmm. hear everyone even the soldiers hear the baby cry and there's this silence that breaks out and everybody stays quiet as they walk out of the building and then as soon as they walk away mm-hmm. uh the, the fight starts again like that that whole entire movie i think can be used for you know even though it's not historical or, or oh. necessarily but you know throwing that one out there maybe for future use that children of men would be a great yeah yeah, and you know it's, I, I yeah that's a, a fantastic movie. It's a, it's a really <laughs> it's a really wonderful idea to think of it in that context. Um, and I know like I've I've struggled with the mission because his historians tend to be really like a pain when it comes to like historical accuracy, and so like the mission plays have loose <laughs> very loose at times with the history, but I feel like it serves you know. Um, I mean, I've tried to show documentaries in the classroom and, and I could just, I could just hear, you know, you talk about hearing the baby being born. I could hear this, the students like snoring during the, the documentary. I mean, I'm like, oh, this documentary is so powerful. It shows all problems about like racism. And they're just like a thousand miles away, you know? Um, and I'm like, you know what? But movies like the mission, they're all, they're all like their eyes are, you know, just glued to the screen. Um, and you know, I, I generally tell them like, you know, it's a movie. Don't, this is not like, you know, you don't quote this film as like historic accuracy, but it's this stuff. History happens like this somehow. 
in within the context of this film and you know you know um hopefully this is uh i think that's what where i'm going like hopefully movies like children um selma and the mission silent service bridges toward actually studying the history uh, or reading you know the uh primary sources of the eyewitnesses um those who gave the accounts of of some of this history um of things like genocide you know done in done in the name of god um i think those are things we should be wrestling with and you know if the movie is a good way to like lead into um really paying attention to history and theology then you know that's that's great it serves its purpose yeah i think uh, art art has a way of, of doing that and uh we, we have the ability to kind of, yeah, people pay more attention in that way when you're able to tell it from a certain angle or, or from a certain certain way where, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's uh, sometimes I guess we can use movies to escape, but there there is something subversive about that. I mean, there's so many movies that we can we can talk about, but just very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would we... Uh, Time, I know uh, time for both of us is short. We both have both have kids. Uh, Got to put to put to bed. So I, I completely understand. And um, what are some final words that that you could add as far as uh, you know regarding you know Latino theology and where you see it headed uh, for you know Latinos in the church and and theology wise. Hmm. Um. It's a really good question. Um. <laughs> I think one thing I've learned is um, as someone who kind of came to uh, Latino theology, you know, at the, at the tail end of my um, dissertation, uh, one thing I'm learning is to like <laughs> really dive in and try to pay attention to the voices that have been there or who are already passed. Um, like I, uh, I'm learning so much. I, I taught a Mexican American class at Santa Ana College, so it was, you know, I'm I'm not Mexican. My my wife is. Um, my kids now, you know, are, um, and so uh, for me, I looked at it as a learning experience for myself. Who, <laughs> you know, grew up grew up here in the U.S. Grew up in Southern California, but you don't learn anything about uh, Mexican history, Mexican American history. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed teaching that class. I thoroughly enjoyed my, my students, um, the literature. Um, and I think that's one thing I've learned is just to be a good listener and kind of let, let the voices that are already out there, you know, continue, try to learn from them, um, in kind of a humble way, know that I, I'm like never going to be a spokesperson, but just somebody part of uh, joining the, you know, uh, comunidad, um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and so that's one thing I'm learning to do, uh, you know, someone like struggling through his Spanglish all his life, especially Same here. Um, Same here. <laughs> doing, doing that. Yeah, but like, this is why this, just, this is why this podcast exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I mean, like, I know, like, again, a lot of it, I think part of it is, is, you know, just to, um, from there is, is talk about intentionality. Like, um, I know, like, <laughs> You know, because some people are like, oh, why do you I, – I figure, like, when I was writing the book, I felt like some of the pushback I might get is, like, well, why do you have to, like, focus in on these voices? And to be quite honest, there's a lot of European voices in my book still because in a lot of ways this is kind of like a, a turning point for me um, biographically. 
But I think um, I, I've learned to just be intentional because I, I you know, of personal experience, I've seen churches treat uh, Spanish speakers like second class citizens. I, I've seen, you know, me being, you know, <laughs> basically a white guy on the outside to most people have people say stuff. And I just like, what, really? <laughs> uh, what, I, you know, in the church context, you know, sp- speak about Latino a certain way. Um, you know, I've seen my dad struggle as the Spanish ministry um, over things. And that's why um, they moved and got their own church because they, they couldn't, you know, they didn't want to be second class citizens. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways, um, you know, Latinos, you know, we, <laughs> the numbers are there and they're growing. The attention of theology is there. It's growing. And a lot of ways, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that intentionality, like to really have, have like a focused voice in, in things, you know, and not just, you know, uh, connect and reuse ideas outside of, of Latin American circles. I mean, it's not a vacuum, but I, I do think, intentional like it's my own journey like i'm reading you know fiction written by latin americans um theology by latin americans uh um uh, um philosophy etc and it's it's enriching like i just really enjoy it um for even just on the ascetic level um and i think um i know for me I, you know, I'm having, I've buying children's books for my kids on, you know, the life of like Cesar Chavez and figures like that. Cause I, I never learned about him. You know, we, we, you get the holiday, you know, Oh, Hey, Cesar, he, he, you know, he walked for grapes or something, you know, <laughs> even like your, your average, like, uh, uh, Mexican American students know much about him. So, um, it was really cool to like, see like now people are writing, there's like three or four like concrete studies on, um, Cesar's uh, theology and like his, you know, his understanding of what he was doing as like a historical theological struggle. So it, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The work is there. Like <laughs> the stuff is there. It's just for us in this generation to like, I think really to learn from that. Um, and then to like move forward with that knowledge and teach the next generation about it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the church would be blessed more for it when we uh, we bring out the value what's within our communities and our our families and stuff. That's really encouraging to hear. And, and you mentioning you know the comunidad, it reminds me of that verse uh, that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So you know we're mm-hmm. not alone. We're not alone, and yeah. um, our story is connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's really encouraging to hear those. And, and just thank you for your time.